Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money, and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. We're here with the Pope of Purpose, Richard Leiter. Uh, and Richard, the story I have on the Rolling Stones is you're talking about the, the Alliance of Lifetime Income. My wife still hasn't let me live down. Um, about a year ago, I think we had the Rolling Stones come into town and Chris Stapleton, which I'm a big Chris Stapleton fan. My, fa- my whole family is my brothers and sisters. So we, we went to Chris Stapleton and because I think I couldn't handle two concerts in one week, we didn't go to the Rolling Stones and she still to this day, or maybe it was George Strait. It was some big country music. It was George Strait. And she still doesn't let me live that down. So I hope they <laughs> no. come back to Atlanta soon. So yeah. I don't know if that's well, going to happen. Uh, Mick Jagger is same age as me and he's still rocking out. Like um, you can't believe us. It's Keith Richards and the others. And so uh, we were within 20 feet of them during the evening because we were guests of the sponsors. And so, but we were so close. I was telling Ryan, they bring in 58, they fly in their own plane, but they bring in 58 semis, 58 semis with all of their equipment and their stage and their speakers and all of that. They take over half of downtown just to set up. And then they have to take it all down and drive all the way to Tampa for a concert three days later and set it all up again. But we were in the 10th row. And we were so close that the speakers were, you could actually feel it uh, on your, you know, a pulse from it. So anyway, it was a, a memorable bucket list thing. Yeah, you can see the sweat of Mick Jagger if you're that close. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. that's awesome. So your next concert is the, the Yellow Brick Road one, which is the Elton John one. Right. Same sponsor, Alliance for Lifetime Income. Yeah. And, uh, well, that's going to be awesome and fun. And I, happy retirees actually do tend to like, there's a music and concerts are a, a very popular happy retiree core pursuit. Um, so let me just, I want to dive in. And one of the biggest challenges is, you know, when we're stopping work and we, we've got plenty, let's say we've figured out the financial side, we end up really struggling finding that second act, whether it's maybe you refer to this as what do you want to be or who do you want to be when you grow old, whether it's a second act career. And it comes back to this ethereal word of purpose. Like, okay, yeah, we know we need to have a purpose, but I want to understand that more because it's not necessarily that easy to just flip a switch and say, okay, this is my new purpose. And this is my new purpose. So let me start with how you got into the study of this and life's purpose and what led you to that? Well, I'm a counseling psychology is my pedigree, my background. So uh, I started out in, um, in my era and personnel now called HR. And, uh, but I, I, but I had a side hustle called life uh, lunchtime limited. And I would coach you at lunch if you bought me lunch even though I was, a, I was a senior HR official at what is now U.S. Bank, one of the big banks, uh, holding companies. And, um, and I realized this was my calling. I love the coaching. I love the, But I realized that so many people were, were at a point in their life as adults, working adults, that needed guidance uh, because oftentimes they didn't choose their career. It chose them. And they got into it for a whole lot of reasons, and they get to a certain point. And so I started to, I realized that, and I got a fellowship, and uh, it's called a Bush Foundation Fellowship. It's the uh, 3M company, Archibald Bush. 
And I studied at the Harvard Business School advanced, uh, the Harvard Study of Adult Development, which is the longest 80 years study of adults. And I said, this is it. This is what, and you know, this needs to get out there. And so I resigned from my role at, at HR and I hung out my own shingle and that was in 1973. But one other thing before that, I've had the uh, profound privilege of many, what I would call fortuitous encounters. Ooh. And one of, one of those was with uh, Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning. And I was out, fresh out of graduate school trying to figure out what to do before my first big job. And I saw that I had studied him, but I, I uh, saw that he was doing a seminar in uh, San Diego. And I was in Denver at the time. I live in Minneapolis and now. And um, I went and spent a week and it changed my life forever. So many people have had fortuitous encounters where it really changed their mindset or changed their trajectory. And his, along with many others along the way, uh, became the, you know, the seminal triggers. Yeah. Tell me about that weekend. So you, you flew from it Denver. It was a week. So you went from Denver to Cal to San Diego for a week yep. with Victor Frankel. What was the week like and what was the, the sky opening? Well, you know, they were trying to create, and that didn't happen, a Frankel Institute in San Diego with uh, International University there. And it just, they didn't, never raised it. They never got it done. But he was there to kind of promote and to let people know what he, who he was and what he was doing. And, you know, he, his, he says the last of the human freedoms is choice to choose what you want your life to be about, regardless of the adversities or the situation you're in. And for those that don't know, he was in three concentration camps. He survived, but his entire family was wiped out. He weighed 87 pounds when he was liberated from Auschwitz. He went back to Vienna, where he was an MD, psychiatrist, neurologist, actually teaching something to other residents, uh, doctor, physician residents called logotherapy, meaning therapy. And so um, he had a wide swath of people, not that many, uh, and you could hear a pin drop for a week because there was just something about his integrity and his truth and what he's experienced that made everybody have to go deeper. And when you go deeper, you get quieter. And so that's what that week was, was like, and it was, uh, was life-changing. And you came away, though, with this theme of the power of choice. Is that the primary yeah. thing you came out? Tell me about that. Is it the, well, the choice of, of finding a purpose or the choice of yeah. explain that? Well, it's a mindset. You know, purpose is three things, Wes. It's a mindset. It's a path we choose to take in our lives or not. And it's practice or practices. All three come together. And there's the big P purpose and the little P purpose. He didn't talk about it that way, but that's the way I talk about it. And the big P purpose is kind of like legacy and what you want your life to be. But little P purpose, Wes, is the choice you make every single day when you get up in the morning. You know, purpose is why do I get up in the morning? Why am I here? What's the point of the exercise? And uh, the little P purpose is to make a difference in one person's life every day is the little P purpose. So oftentimes uh, when I help people with practices, I, I say, look, take out a post-it. And on that little post-it, write these two words, which are the universal purpose grow and give. If you get up every day with an intention, just to start with, to practice, to grow and give today, look at the post-it in the morning on your mirror, and then at night before you go to bed, look at the post-it and say, how did I grow and give today? And if you are growing and giving, you're living purposefully. You're not having a purpose that you can just write and put it aside. You're actually practicing and doing things on a day-to-day -day basis. And purpose is always outside of yourself. It's always beyond you. It includes you, of course, and is fulfilling for you, but it's also, you know, about the world around you. I have a colleague who, uh, on his answering machine, it says, at the sound of the tone, please leave your answer to life's two eternal questions. Who are you and what do you want? <laughs> I'm changing my voicemail to that. Who are you and what do you want? <laughs> and what, what you find the answer is, you know, if you Google purpose, 
you'll get over a billion hits, more than happiness, actually. What is my mm -hmm. purpose? You get more than how do I find happiness? And the bottom line is that uh, who are you and what do you want is to belong and to matter, to feel mm -hmm. like you're connected to your whatever your community is or your world, and to matter, to make a difference, to somehow show up in that world. And every single person I've interviewed, and that's thousands of people, in the second half of life, particularly around retirement, want their life to matter. Mattering matters. And sometimes it takes a trigger or a crisis for that to happen, and other times we make other choices about that. Richard, is it because so many people end up having, to your point earlier, the career chooses them, that they they go through that career or they go through a big part of life where they don't feel like they're purposeful in their career and what they're doing maybe doesn't matter. And then, yeah. and then they're longing and people, humans, Americans are longing for that at some point in their lives. Yeah. Purpose is not a luxury. I want to say that again. Purpose is not a luxury. It's fundamental. We now know through neuroscience and others that, and um, I did a PBS special on this shown in 400 cities across the country. And I went to the neuroscience labs around the uh, in preparation for this and purpose is fundamental to health to healing to happiness and ultimately to longevity and so it's you know it's not a luxury and when we have it we're more alive we're more fulfilled we're more um wanting to get up in the morning and we're not bored and stagnant and uh you know it's not the silver bullet but it certainly is a, a crucial piece of aging so in my new book which I've done many, many, many interviews, and it, it went into reprint before it even came out. The chapter that, is, that answers your question, I think, or addresses your question, is the chapter, How Do I Stop Living a Default Life? How do I stop living a default life? So for many people, the default life was kind of the life they grew up with, the expectations of their parents or the expectations of their teachers or their institutions, and they kind of went down that path and it might have been fine, but they might, have been, they might be bored or burned out or, or it might have been not the right choice to begin with. But at a certain point, usually in midlife, we push the pause button and we step back and we look at, well, how do I start living the good life? I've only got so many, you know, it often takes a trigger like a divorce or a financial upset or an illness or a death or something that causes people to push that pause button and look back and say, well, if I've only got this much time, I start making choices to live my life, not the default life. And that's a difficult transition, but they call it the U curve of happiness in the science, the research. Yeah. And explain when, that to our audience. I, I love the, this idea of the U curve of, yeah. of happiness and I've read a lot about it, but explain that to our audience. Well, it's just pretty much what I just laid out, but at, at a certain point and 47.5 is the age that they say is the bottom of the U-curve. Uh-oh, I'm getting kind close. Of, <laughs> but there's kind of a, a dip in midlife where we got a lot of stresses. We may be taking care of our parents, taking care of kids, making a living, doing, going through all. Then the pandemic comes, and then the economy changes. So and oftentimes the old narrative was learn, earn, retire. The new narrative is learn, earn, reimagine, and maybe retire, maybe not. But, but the second half, there's a big uptick. The happiest people are earlier in life, moving from adolescence to adulthood and on their own and, you know, really energized about life. And then the second big uptick in happiness is, is in the, uh, later in life, in the 60s and 70s. And that is totally against the old model of learn, earn, and retire, you know, kind of the second half being decline. And, uh, you know, I would say, spoiler alert, you're getting older. But the question, the, the question is, are you growing older? Uh, and we grow, we grow up twice. Once is from adolescence to adulthood. And the second time is from adulthood to elderhood. And when we make that jump and start making choices about more being more authentically ourselves, and whether it's in all aspects or some aspects of, of life, we tend to be happier. 
So if we're looking at this U curve, right? So we're yeah, happy right. early, it declines, it bottoms out at 47.5. How do we skip the bottom years and go immediately skip to the upswing? Well, in a nutshell, it's grow and give. It's how, how do I want to grow and how do I want to give? And what do I want? So the, the next chapter after in the book, after how do I stop living the uh, default, default life, Yep. is to start uh, the next chapter is entitled how do it's how do i stop living default life excuse me how do i start living the good life mm. and i've been a student with my philosophy professor co-author of the good life for decades and the good life is the way we've researched it through interviews and going all the way back to aristotle and plato and the bible and everything else is living in the place you love with the people you love doing the work you love on purpose with purpose so place people right work purpose so i would suggest that people let's say they're pre-retirement or post-retirement or whatever they are take a uh, do an assessment of the good life are you living in the place you love and what constitutes place for you and then uh, with the people you love, because many as people... As an example, hang on. So, so, and by the way, this sounds very Blue Zones to me, which I want to yeah. get to that. I love Dan Buettner. I've been well, able to... He's the one who called me the Pope of Purpose, but I'm, I'm the Blue Zone Purpose Ambassador. And they, know, well, use, they use my intellectual property as their purpose property. Well, and that's why I wanted to have you on because I've always been such a big fan of Buettner. I've interviewed him a couple times. He was one of my early podcasts. And that's why having you on is such a, it's such a exciting development for us here on the retire sooner podcast, but let's go into that. What I want to hear though, a little bit about is place. I tend to think of place as physical as in geography. I want to go to California because I think it'd be magical and fun. I want to live there. I want to go to Texas because I think it'd be very different from where I am. And it'd be an adventure. I want to go to Spain for a year because I did an exchange, you know, half a year there and I want to go back. But what do you mean by place, Richard? Well, place is physical and it's weather. You know, I live in Minneapolis and a lot of snowbirds go to a place but if you're going to live in a place, it has to do with the culture, with the amenities that are your vocation or avocation or interest, and people, which is the second part, because isolation is fatal. And sometimes people go to place, but they feel isolated, even though they're with people physically you know, are present, but they don't connect with them because it could be politics, could be religion, could be age could be a whole lot of things but we you know places are not just physical places they're cultures and they're relational and there's all kinds of things so um i always say to check it out to to go subscribe to the paper find out what's being reported on go there and stay there for a month live there see what it feels like when you're there and um so um places important However, a lot of retirees go because of the weather and because it's you know, all the things you just said, it's on their bucket list or they, you know, and then they end up moving back or they end up living part-time there and, and, and part-time elsewhere. So everybody's an experiment of one in terms of place, in terms of what matters in, in, in place. But then the people side of things, it's like, have you ever been on a vacation in a most beautiful place like you mentioned? and had a kerfuffle with the person you're with and all of a sudden the place kind of goes into the background and you're not as appreciative or you know and so the the relationships whatever they are starting with yourself and with others in that place are important and then the vocation the uh you know are you living in the place you love with the people you love and uh the right work with the right work but right work can be uh, avocational work, it can be craft work, it could be starting a new business work, it could be, but right work is the chance to really bring yourself into the world using your gifts or developing your gifts or doing things. And we will talk about that because that's the formula for purpose right there, and uh, which we can come back to. And then purpose is so, what's the point? Uh, when you get up every day, how are you feeling? Are you feeling uh, alive? And, uh, you know, it's surprising the science. And 
faith both agree that having a reason to get up in the morning beyond yourself is important because purpose is a verb. That's an important term. Purpose is a verb. Action precedes clarity. If you get up and act purposefully every day, you get clear on how it really feels. There's a felt sense of aliveness that comes from that. And uh, it's fundamental to living a meaningful life. Hey, y'all, it's Mallory Boggs, the producer for the Retire Sooner podcast. From an investment standpoint, the world is changing. We've gone from no inflation to hyperinflation, zero interest rates to much higher interest rates. All of this changes the dynamics for stocks and bonds. So the question for you, are your retirement accounts ready for it? Have you adapted your investments for these major shifts? Do you know what kind of income your 401k account is going to pay you in retirement? If not, maybe it's time for a new perspective. The Retire Sooner team is here to help. If you're ready to talk, reach out to our team and we'll help you take a closer look at how you can generate income in retirement and protect yourself from inflation. We'd love to hear from you. Again, find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go to curiosity, though. Okay. I think that uh, curiosity killed the cat, but it a <laughs> lack of but 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 a lack of curiosity uh, killed the happy retiree. Tell me about your thoughts around curiosity. Well, curiosity is. Um, let me let me share a story with you that uh, I was on uh, a program a while back with uh, Richard Saul Warman. He's in his late eighties, and he's the founder of TED. You know, the TED Talks? TED Talks, yeah. He's, he's the founder of TED. He sold it a long, long time ago to Chris Anderson, but he's the founder, and uh, he created, uh, he's an architect and an urban planner, but he, 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 he wanted to see where technology and entertainment and design come together in this new reality, and he did these ultimate dinner parties where he would have these conversations, uh, and he was curious as to you know, this new world of that was emerging pre-internet, by the way. Mm-hmm. And he would bring these, these folks together. And he said to me, we're backstage before going on stage. And he says, don't you think curiosity drives purpose? And I said, yeah, if you're not curious about yourself or about others or about the world you're in, you're going to be what I call inner kill, inner kill, the, you know, uh, stagnation. And, uh, so um, curiosity is critical to, uh, and if I'm ever with people who are not curious, I try to get out of there as quickly as possible. <laughs> the, the, and so by the so way, he, he said, by the way, he defined curiosity as, as uh, discovering or finding or seeing, observing the extraordinary in the ordinary. Mm-hmm. You know, being awake every day, it's not just about new revelations or new science or new technology. It's about the person you're with being curious about that person or the situation you're in. And that curiosity opens up the lens for you to grow. Hence grow and give. Speaking of, I'm curious how you chose Minnesota. I grew up here. Yeah. Are you there most of the year or where, where else do you go? I'm here. Well, I travel and I, I do certain things. I just got back. My wife and I just got back from three weeks trekking in the French Alps. So I go places for periods of time, but I don't live anyplace else. And uh, I happen to uh, live in a little town right on the edge of Minneapolis called Scandia. And it's on a national wild and scenic river called the St. Croix River. And so I'm a nature and birder and lover and hiker. And so, you know, I live in the country, but I'm an hour from the Twin Cities, the restaurants and the culture scene and the education scene where I'm a senior fellow at the university and uh, uh, also from the airport, et cetera. So I like winter. I don't like the really, really frigid parts of it, but I, I, it's, it's great solitude. It's beautiful, it's quiet. And Are you a cross-country skier? I am. 
I love cross country skiing. I really yeah. do. I can do it right out my back door on the trails right out here. Yeah. So yeah, I love that. So yeah. It's a kind of an amazing sport. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about curiosity. Uh, let's maybe, I want to ask you about your book. Who do you know you want to be when you grow old? Right. We always ask kids, who do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. Is that the right question? Explain that to us. Well, the formula, you know, the, the subtitle is um, the path of purposeful aging. So how do I find my purpose? You don't. Let me say that again. How do I find my purpose? You don't. You unlock it. It's inside and you unlock it. And here's how. You, the formula for unlocking the power of purpose is G plus P plus V equals C. Gifts plus passions plus values equals calling. Calling is another term or more vocational term for purpose. And so uh, what I help people do and I've done for a long time and have research and studied and practice is helping people find their gifts. What are your gifts? Sometimes, as you were asking before, uh, are you having a midlife crisis? Are you having a late life crisis? Is because I'm really not using my gifts. And I never had much help. I got a degree and I've got a good job, et cetera, but my gifts are blank. And oftentimes parents or grandparents struggle to help their youngers find their gifts. So we can talk about gifts, and then passions are the curiosity. Where do you want to use your gifts in the service of? Who do you want to help? Where do you want to help? You know, that, that sort of thing. What is it that you would like to connect your gifts to in either in your vocation or your avocation or your, and your retirement? And then third is values, and that's uh, people want a voice in matters. And they want to work in a place or live in a place that honors their values, where they feel like their values are aligned with the place that they are either working or living or, or both. Equals calling. And calling is, is, as I said, it's another word for, and we're called from cradle to grave. It's not just a job or a career. We're part of communities and part of world that we matter in, whether we're retired or whether we're younger or my age, older. So you obviously, you're an author and then you're a, a fellow as well. So what does a typical month look like for you if you're not in the French <laughs> Alps? Are you writing? Are you teaching? Are you researching? What does uh, a month look above. like for you? Yeah, I, I had a company for many, many years called InVenture, the purpose company. And I had partners and employees and things like that. And then eventually... I decided I just wanted to do, as I got older, I wanted to, I didn't want to retire. And I wanted to continue to do what I love to do, which is uh, ba basically uh, write and design uh, to create tools or speeches or, you know, things like that. Uh, research, continue to interview people and things like that and practice. And I gave up coaching although I do pro bono coaching, but I, for years I was known quite widely as an executive coach. Um, and I gave up coaching just because it was too time consuming and too, and I had a way broader audience. This is my 11th book, third bestseller. I had a wide audience and I love to speak. I mean, I'm per perfectly comfortable on the platform. I love it. And uh, I like creating it and designing it and, uh, so a typical day or a typical uh, month would be maybe an interview like this. It might be a Zoom uh, webinar. And I'm finding uh, I resisted Zoom because I like face-to-face. -face. Yeah. But I found that um, I would go on a book tour, for example. I'd go to a bookstore and there's like 25 people there, 15 of whom never heard of me or didn't know what I was doing sitting there. But if I do a Zoom webinar sponsored, I'll have as many as a couple thousand people online easily. And so being a senior fellow at a couple of universities helps that as well, um, as well as the Alliance for Lifetime Income type of uh, audiences. And so I like uh, doing that. And uh, I take plenty of time off to do other things. I've, I'm very picky now. The phone because purpose is so dominant now in healthcare, mm -hmm. as well as in leadership courses, as well as in 
uh, life in general, my phone's ringing off the hook like never before, but I'm very selective in picking. And for example, the Blue Zones is a client, but and a part, I'll call them a partner, yeah. but I'm their, per, I'm their purpose ambassador. So I write for them, I speak for them, I train their f- purpose facilitators for them. I um, do a, a variety of all these things in concert with them who are Blue Zones, who are the lead on it. So if our audience hasn't heard about Blue Zones and Dan Butner's work, give us a quick overview because I, I think it's just such a wonderful concept and yeah. such a fascinating well, Dan, guy. Dan, who, who used to live in the Twin Cities and still is a big presence here with his family here, uh, I've known him for a long, long time. And um, his, uh, you know, he started, he's a National Geographic fellow, explorer fellow, who has got two Guinness Book of World Records bike records, uh, who's biked around the world in different ways. They dispatched him, Dan Butner, to uh, find out where the oldest people live and why. And when he went out to find these different places through the neuroscientists and through, through others, they had this big map in the National Geographic headquarters in Washington, D.C., where they would circle this place like Sardinia in blue or Okinawa in blue. That's why they call them the blue zones. And so um, eventually it got down to a handful that he wrote a book, the Blue Zones book, and he's written many others since. But, uh, and it's, it's what are the characteristics of the longest lived people? And what are the practices that I, who not, don't live in one of these places, can do? And so purpose is, is not, I'll, I'll say it's the, but it's one of the central nine factors that make up the practices in a blue zone. Of course, there's diet and there's, you know, all movement. the health and action and movement and relational and uh, uh, other, other things like that. But purpose is kind of the glue that holds it all together. It's the mindset where in a community, there is real community beyond just where they live but it's who, how they live and who they connect with. And you're the Is purpose it? ambassador for Blue Zones and you write for them and you speak to their audience and it is a wonderful organization. Yeah. I want to ask you about growing up twice. I love the idea, and this is in, in your book, this getting rid of or ending the default life, getting away from the default life, which then goes towards this idea and this thought around, well, this is a new, you call it a second act. You what, what, Growing up twice, Tell me about that. Well, as I mentioned, the first one is from adult, uh, from uh, adolescence to adulthood. We make the shift, hopefully, to, to grow up and take care of ourselves and be on our own and do all the things. But then at a certain point in life, what's the next stage? And uh, you remember the book Passages? Pass- by, Passages. By Gail Sheehy. I don't, I've, written, I've not read it. Okay. Well, it was written 48 years ago, and it was on the New York Times bestseller list for several years, and it's still quoted liberally, even though it's, you know, and it talked about the passages we go through in our life up to midlife. But we wanted to write the book about beyond midlife, what are the continuing passages? Because, you know, the fastest growing cohort in the country, age-wise, is 85 and over. She stopped her research in midlife, like around 50. And so um, the second growing up is from adulthood to elderhood when we start. And it may or may not involve retirement. It may, you may retire, you may not retire. Because so many people today can't afford to retire, don't want to retire, or are retiring differently than, uh, than I grew up with. My dad worked for the same organization for 40-some years, retired, and died two years later. Oh. You know, he was like one of these on decline. So a lot of our narrative, Wes, about growing or about aging, I should say, it sees the second half of life fearfully as one of decline. And, you know, things are going to decline. There's going to be changes. But as Viktor Frankl said, in spite of everything, say yes to life. In spite of everything. And so what does it mean to say yes to life? Well, it means to wake up with a sense of purpose. It means to, to be authentically yourself. Uh, and, uh, and it means to serve. The other spoiler alert is you're here. Why are you here? You're here to serve. And, and what, does do that you... mean? what does that mean? Well, it means that, that you know, you don't have to serve all day every day or, or you know, be Mother Teresa or 
Gandhi or, you know, turn your life over. What's wrong with enjoying your retirement? Nothing. But if it's all, you know, when people say, well, I served my whole life. Can I just take it easy? And I went, sure. Take take a, a hiatus for a while and just do your bucket list or clean your closets or do whatever. But at a certain point, you're going to want to feel a sense of, of presence. And what the, the word is that I hear over and over again in one fashion or another is relevance. Mm. I want to I be relevant. And relevant doesn't mean to be a big cheese or to be, you know, it, it means simply I want to be connected to my family, to my community, to however large your, your orbit uh, might be. If we're struggling to find, and you call it unlock, and I, I love that thought around really, it's not, right. you, you're not necessarily going and searching out, well, I think this is my purpose. You talk about unlocking your purpose. What are the steps to do that? Is it, and is it just time, Richard? Is it just take some time and how do we be intentional around it? Well, I would, what I do is coach people on that formula. What are your gifts? What are your gifts, passions? passions are you, value. Yeah. yeah. Values. Yeah. And so many people uh, are struggle with that because no one's ever asked them that before. They just did the default life and it was okay, but now they're at a certain point where they might uh, have more choices or want more choices in, in, in life. And so, you know, I, I say that there are certain practices, and I gave the practice of the post, post it. But if you just look at gifts, for example, for your listeners and viewers, is um, a gift is, first of all, something you love to do. Second of all, it's something that others observe you doing effortlessly and well. And third, you can't recall learning it. You don't necessarily have a degree in it. When I, I, I developed a tool called Calling Cards, and it's on Amazon. You can, and we, I talk about it in the book, et cetera, but it helps people figure out what these gifts are. And when I developed that, I interviewed parents and grandparents and teachers to say, well, Wes, what was he like when he was younger? And all of a sudden, yeah, he was always like this. And I said, well, what about his brothers and sisters? Are they the same? And they, they laugh and said, no, no, no. Well, I said, same family. How did they grow up differently? And so we grew up with differing gifts and they love learning more about it. So you love it. Others seeing you doing it uh, effortlessly. You may, they may even come to you for help with it. And third, they... Um, you can't recall learning it. So often when we can't recall learning something, we don't have a degree in it or something like that. We don't value it as much as that which we uh, have worked at, right? have worked at, you know, no pain, no gain type of thing. And we love learning more about it and hanging out with other people uh, around it. And so I find oftentimes when I do a gifts assessment with people or they do it on themselves and we talk about it, they end up teary. Because they said, you know, how come I didn't learn this when I was 15 or 20 or something like this? But I said, well, you've got the next phase of your life to use your gifts in new ways. You've got time, <laughs> so, yeah. So it's, it's, fi it's finding out what you want to do. Uh, the gifts is how you want to help. And passions are who do you want to help. And values are where do you want to help. And so you start to, you start to look at this and talk about this. And then here's the next step. Assemble a sounding board. Who's the sounding board? Who do right. I need as a sounding board? And the sounding board has these kinds of people in it. But mostly what you need, even if you don't have a board, you need, number one, a committed listener. Somebody who listens to you without fixing you. Tell me more, Wes, about that. Give me some, oh, you're, you know, so you, you can talk and figure it out yourself and have somebody who gets you. As opposed okay? to a, a, a Mr. Fix-It when you're talking about something. Yeah, Here's what you right. should do. And sometimes that committed listener is, is uh, I'll say a stranger, but somebody who doesn't have any skin in the game, who can mm. just listen to you without, because the, uh, if you're talking about moving someplace and you're talking with someone who's close to you and they're saying, well, I didn't know you didn't like it living here. I didn't. And all of a sudden they pour cold water on your vision or your thoughts, your good life vision. And so uh, a committed listener. Secondly, a wise elder. 
somebody who's about 10 years older or at least old enough that they've experienced what you haven't experienced yet. And they can help you to open up, to look at aging. And if you look at who are your exemplars of aging, um, it's, um, I'm not trying to be anybody's exemplar, but having just trekked in the Alps at 78, my wife was 75, you know, in certain ways, people say, oh, I wish I could do that. And then, you know, that kind of, but that's not because I'm trying to be an exemplar. I'm just trying to do what I love to do and continue doing it. Well, you're but getting pretty good. At, you're pretty good at being an, an exemplar. So that's that. And, and then there's the, the wise younger, somebody who asks you what may be considered naive questions, but they ask you questions that, geez, I didn't think about that before, or wish I would have thought about that. And then the fourth person on a sounding board is a purpose partner. And that's somebody who holds you accountable. You said you wanted to go to Spain. When do you want to go? How do you want to do it? Let's set up a plan. You know, and they hold you accountable for uh, eventually. So you could have just one of those people. But um, when I uh, coached executives, for example, or leaders, I'll call it, I found that many of them were isolated. They didn't talk to anybody. And they talked to me, but I said, you need a sounding board because when you stop paying me, you need to have somebody that you continue to talk with and that helps you to be, to grow whole, to grow these parts of you that you want to, you want to grow. And so the, you know, the other thing is that um, when you look at uh, life, uh, there are 1,440 purpose moments in a day. 1,440 purpose moments in a day. Now, if you take sleep out, there'd be less. But those are moments to step up and make a difference. And Viktor Frankl in the concentration camp got up with a will to live in the morning and giving somebody else a kind word, a hug, a crust of bread, a slurp of soup, hope for the future. And just in that moment, it made all the difference to his survival. Now, he might have not survived otherwise, but it helped. And that mindset helped him survive. And he says, look at all the people who have, you know, not in a concentration, who live, who are retired, who are bored, who are stagnant, who are feeling like their lives don't matter, et cetera. He said, they need to get up every day with a will to live, a reason to live, and to make a difference, even a small moment, a purpose moment in life every single day. And he said, uh, don't ask, what is my purpose? Say yes to life. What is life asking of me today? What is life asking of me? Say yes to life. That was his um, talks that he gave after the concentration camp. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. From Viktor Frankl to NFL. Uh, <laughs> we're going to go to the NFL for a second here because you've done a lot of work with the NFL. And- Not a lot. Not a lot, but some and still pending. Some and still pending. So you've done, let's say you've done some work with NFL and you've got these young, you know, talented guys that it's like a one in a million chance to make it to the NFL. What are you coaching these kids on, kids, these young men on? Well, it's not them. Uh, And by the way, the owners don't like me uh, because they say, well, I just want them to produce. I don't care what they do when they leave. But when I was... uh, contracted in a major way by AARP in Washington to create their Life Reimagined Institute, reimagining the next phase of life. And so I wrote a book, co-authored a book called Life Reimagined, helped create the Life Reimagined platform and institute. And the NFL came in the door through AARP at the time. And what they wanted to do was to help players in the fifth quarter in other words, after they were done with four, four as soon quarters. As they're done playing, yeah. And uh, a preponderant majority of them do very poorly. Mm. Financially, psychologically, health-wise, divorce-wise, etc. 
and they wanted to do something. And particularly, they wanted they were already doing some things around mentoring. And there are many. I mean, think I think the number is like twenty thousand alumni out there spread across the country who are former. And you know, the average longevity of a player is three and a half years in the NFL playing in, in the, the NFL, NFL. active. Yeah. yeah. And then they don't just, they retire into oblivion. Most of them, they, they're not Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and others that are going to be on TV or going to own a restaurant or going to be, you know, do something that they all think they're going to be able to do. Or they, you know, they hope they'll, they'll be able to do. So what do they do? How do they reimagine the next phase of their life? And, uh, how do we help them do that? And also, they've got kind of a bonding with each other. How do they serve their communities and the youth in their communities, et cetera, as models or mentors? And so we started on that process, and then all hell broke loose with um, all the <laughs> problems with the NFL right now or in the past couple of years with uh, domestic abuse and uh, the concussion protocols, and they wanted to put this on hold because they just couldn't do everything. So it's on hold at the moment. But when yeah, I, but it's, when a, I, it's a challenging I, group, though, uh, Richard. Yeah. It's a tall order for you to help because that, it is such a unique experience that they go through. It's hard for them to relate to other people about it, and but yet everybody wants to be them, and then they're left with a really difficult financial situation. It's a, it is a hard. A lot of a lot of their agents have spent their money, and yeah. um, so. But I did uh, at Georgetown University. I did this amazing thing. I told my wife before I did it, it's going to be the worst day or best day of my teaching <laughs> career. But I had the head of the players' union. I had Troy Vincent, who's number two in the NFL. I had uh, um, a variety of people whose names you would know with Super Bowl rings, etc. About fifteen or eighteen of them in the room. And so I got there and I was going to take him through this gifts, passions, and values and, and this work that I've done around reimagining the next phase of life and the six practices to do that. And uh, they said, uh, well, Richard, uh, do you mind if we pray? And I said, sure. So they got in the middle of the room in a circle, held hands. These are big hulks. And uh, praying for the ability to serve their players, their union, that sort of thing. And I thought, man, this may be one of the best days of my life. Not, and uh, they because they were so wholehearted about wanting and feeling. They and it was like a club that all knew what they put up with to get where they were. And you know, they had injuries, and you know, I was the only one in the room without a tattoo, I think, and yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, all of that. But it was very inspiring day and moving forward with uh, Troy Troy Vincent, who. Uh, I can't remember the name of the of the division. He doesn't head it up anymore, but he headed up. It was the player engagement division. But the owners didn't really care. They didn't want to fund anything like this. They wanted to, their players to play and to score touchdowns, so to speak. And so they didn't like the fact that I was maybe um, pulling the, their them into the future. They wanted it in the present. So it wasn't yeah. totally toxic, Wes, but it wasn't that they didn't get behind it. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, it's a group that I would think that could needs it as much as anybody or more than anybody. Yeah, probably. I, I want to go back to you. You went on a trip to Africa. Many. Yeah. Or I guess this is a trip to Africa. Uh, and one of the town elders told you about the two most important days in a person's life. What are they? Well, we're sitting around with a hunt, a tribe of, no, I started going to Africa in 1983. And I was a guest, I was a, on the board of trustees of an outdoor organization called Outward Bound. Oh, sure, yeah. And we went over to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, the board of trustees that signed up for this, to raise money and to visit the Outward Bound school in Kenya and Tanzania. And uh, I fell in love with the place and decided to go back and lead my own trips. I was doing what I called wilderness adventures here in Colorado at the time. But I decided to, to start leading, and now it's uh, 30-some years later. I've done 30 trips, climbed Kilimanjaro eight times, brought 100 people to the top of Kilimanjaro, so uh, and co-founded a foundation over there called the Dorobo Fund for Tanzania. So it's an avocation for me. 
It's not just a trip or a bucket. What does the foundation do, Richard? It, it raises money for uh, education for young women, in secondary school education for young women in the, in the bush, you know, from the bush, and also uh, helps with uh, conservation, preservation of small villages in northern Tanzania. We're in about 40 villages now. Wow. And uh, so uh, we're sitting around on these trips with elders from the tribe called the Hadza, which are been around about 75,000 years, hunter-gatherers, own nothing, absolutely nothing, Wes. Live in the bush in straw huts and move with resource food. And this uh, elder named Kampala said, uh, he knew what I did, but he didn't really know. He's never been more than 50 kilometers from where we're sitting. And uh, I flew over and came out in the Land Rover and slept in a tent. You know, I had a backpack. And he said, he said, Richard, do you mind if I ask you a question? What are the two, mo- you know, what the two most important days are? And I said, sure, birth and death. And he kind of went, oh, you don't even, you write all these books and you don't even know the answer. Here's a totally uneducated man from a formal education standpoint, but a wise man from a standpoint of experience says to me, birth because of infant mortality is crucial to us. And the second most important day of, and so getting through the birth process, the second most important day is determining why you were born, because we need your talents. He didn't use that exact word, but, you know, we need a good hunter. We need a good gatherer. We need people who can do different things. And we need as elders to help them discern how they fit in, because we're a total sharing culture. All they had was, you know, a knife, uh, a bow and arrow, and maybe a honey axe. And that's it. And so I was carrying, by the way, a subtitle or a subquote to that story. I was carrying a buck knife in a leather, and I don't know why I didn't have to do with it. But And I noticed that this guy, Kampala, had a knife that had been sharpened on a stone so many times that it looked like a grapefruit knife, you know, it was curved. Yeah. yeah. So as a thank you for 10 days of stopping around the bush with him and showing us his way of being and educating us, I gave him my buck knife in my sheath and he looked at it and he turned around and he gave it to a young guy behind him. And I said, well, wait a minute, Kampala, I don't know him. I've been with you. you for, I was, it's for you. And he said through a translator in a Khoisan click language, he said, having two of anything, I have a knife. Having two of anything would be a moral breach to why, how we've survived. And I said, then, well, why didn't you give him the grapefruit knife? I didn't use say grapefruit knife, but why didn't you give him that knife? And, and, and he looked at me. He said, that would even be worse. I depend on this guy for my survival. I depend on all of these people around here for, we depend on, on each other. So that, that ethos of sharing, I learned a lot about purpose in that moment. And uh, that, that uh, it's not about competition, it's about collaboration in ways that, that really use gifts, though. He said, we, it's not just sharing your, who you are and what you're good at that's helped us survive. So that's a big revelation to all of us, I think, or for me, Pur- anyway. Purpose is, is really about service to yeah. others. Purpose is about service to others, and which is... But it's about bringing who you, what you love to do to others, not just, and so it's a verb. It's an action. Action precedes clarity. That's why I say to people, put that post-it, grow and give, on your mirror. And in the morning, ask yourself how you're going to do that. And at night, before you go to sleep, ask yourself how you did it or not. And you'll get a felt sense, a visceral felt sense that this purpose thing is good for your body. It's good for your soul. Compassion is the soul of purpose. As we wrap here, I want to just go back and get our audience to have one more tidbit from your book. And maybe I like to ask authors what their favorite part of their book is. So in your most recent book, who do you want to be when you grow old? What is your favorite part of it that you want people to learn about? Well, I co-authored the book with David Shapiro, and this is our sixth book together. And uh, uh, we started out, it starts out with the first chapter is The Long Conversation. And it ends up with the ultimate conversation. So I like the notion here that this book helps people have a conversation, not just about reading and knowing something. It's about conversing with somebody about what matters. So it starts out, we're at a 
twins game, a baseball game, and it's rained out. So we go and have a beer and start talking, right, walking around the concourse and start having this conversation. And we sit down again and it continues to get rained out. And we said, this conversation has been so great. We should, you know, take this further, which we did. And it ended up being this book. And then the ultimate conversation is what happens at the end of life. And oftentimes that's a mirror for living life more vitally now, that when you start to look at that. And so we asked the three ultimate questions and we actually answered those three ultimate questions in the book and turn it into an exercise to help others have the same conversation about their life and what they want to have happen. So, uh, so that's kind of the context. But the story that I would end with that I think is the, my favorite story in the book is about a man named Ed Rapp. Oh, hold on. We're going to get to Ed Rapp. I can't not ask you. What, tell us the three questions at least. Well, the three questions are, are basically, um, you know, how do you want to die? Where do you want to die? And what do you want to leave behind? And you and answer it, them. It, and you we answer answered them. them ourselves in a very, very, it's first scary. But then we said, if we're going to ask these, we better show up in our own way, which we did, which was very insightful for both of us to 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 have to do that. But we did that throughout the book. There's a, there's a thread of our own stories throughout throughout the book, which is only fair if you're going to write a book that's this personal, but it's not an autobiographical one. The stories that are in the book are important, different facets of, uh, and Dan Buettner's story is in the book, for example, um, and what we've learned from him about aging. And you said you wanted to end with a story of... Yeah, I think it's a very instructive story. Ed Rapp is a man who at the age of 57 was about to become the CEO worldwide of Caterpillar, the big earth moving company. Sure. And a lot of travel. He's the only company he'd ever worked for. He grew up in a small town, the only in Missouri, the only person to go to school, college and his family, farm family, etc. But at the age of 57, he was diagnosed with ALS. Mm. And he had to retire immediately where he did retire immediately. And he went back to Raleigh, North Carolina, where he had a home, where he is today. And uh, he, um, he says this in, in, in the story about, he says, Richard, I'm living the good life. And I said, how can you be living the good life with ALS? He said, I get a, you know, you talk about the big P and the little P. Well, the big P is I've raised almost $20 million for ALS research. I created a foundation called Live Strong versus ALS. I'm on the boards of certain places. I walk with arm crutches now. I'm, you know, I work at my breathing and I have daily practices. He's got, you know, he's got ALS, but he's, he's about seven years into it. And they give you a five to six year, you know, diagnosis. And he's, you know, but here's what he said. So the big P is I'm making a difference legacy wise for ALS. I won't survive it with, but somebody else might. The little P is that every single morning during the week, he gets up and at eight o'clock in the morning, he coaches somebody who is just diagnosed with ALS, who gets him through the website or word of mouth, somebody he'll never meet, who it's, uh, you know, and, and he said, I get so much out of listening and coaching and helping people. It brings so much more both joy and vitality to me in spite of it. So it's kind of like, in spite of your adversity, say yes to life. And he's a great example of that in many ways. We all have our adversities as we get older, but we all can say yes to life in a variety of ways. And so that's what I'm, hopefully this book and what I'm helping people do through work like yours. A choice that we can make every single day is what Ed Rapp is doing. Well, listen, Richard, thank you so much for being here. We are so happy to be able to have gotten you here on the Retire Sooner podcast. Your work is so congruent with what our listeners are are trying to get better at and learn. And these are these are heavy topics, but they're they're heavy because they're so important. And the work that you do is it's kind of both big P and little P. Uh, trying to help people through that. So you're a master at that. And I know that I know why Buettner calls you the Pope of Purpose. So <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. 
Hey, y'all. This is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information information.